I mentioned earlier that the book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And, and that simply means that it is so practical. It will deal with, with things such as temptations. And we shall see later on. But it is not to be mistaken that James is only talking about practical things. He's, he's saying that you can be practical because you know what your source for practicality is. You know why you are supposed to do some things. You don't only do it. The book of James, some have declared it to be a, a, a book that contradicts Paul, which is an interesting thing to say. Martin Luther, the great reformer, thought that this book should not be in the New Testament at all. And the reason for that is simply because Luther, coming from a Catholic background, where works was so important that he could not see that the Christians should be thinking of works in line with grace, because grace seems to be contrary to work and therefore. And later on, John Calvin said this, and I love this, we are saved by grace alone, but grace that saves is never alone. We are saved by grace alone, but grace that saves is never alone. I had in mind that I was going to go through the book of Malachi. I've been wanting to preach through that book for a long time, and somehow I did not feel settled in it, and the direction just seemingly was given to me to go to James, and God knows why. It is my prayer that as we begin our introduction this morning, and that's all it is, that you will get to know James and who he is and why he has something to say to us. I want to begin with what I call the trail. The trail. And by the way, again, I like to say this, we are only going to be dealing with verse 1. And um, again, I trust that you will see the reason for that. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a bond servant of God and of Jesus Christ. What, what an interesting introduction to one's person. When we meet people, this is what we say. What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> and, and James is going to tell us what he does, but he's not going to tell us what he does by, by, by telling us about things he does but he's going to tell us what he does by telling us whose he is. He is a servant. But is that all there is about James? Uh, consider with me his ancestry. There are several Jameses in the Bible. The, the, the name James is a derivative of the, game, the name Jacob in the Old Testament. Um, some of you may know that uh, my grandson... Uh, his name is L.J., and you might wonder, L.J., have you ever thought, what, what does that stand for? Well, it, it, his father's name is James, 
And James' father's name is James. And James didn't want to be calling his son James Jr. or James II, so he calls him Little James. <laughs> so that's what LJ means, so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Little James. While there are many, like I said, James, we get a glimpse, of, a glimpse of who James is if you look in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 to 57. And, and this is what it says. When Jesus had finished these um, parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that when they were astonished, and they said, Where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And, not, and, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simeon, Simon and Judas? We have the pedigree here of James. Every theologian that I have studied believe that this was the James that wrote this book. Literally, he was the second born of Mary. Mary had other children. She had sons and daughters. And there are many who feel that by the time Jesus is, is in public ministry, Joseph had died. That is why at the cross, when Jesus looked at Mary, he delivered her to, to John. And you shall see why, not to James in a minute. So the name, the name then, James, is a Hebrew name. He, he was brought up into a home. And he came, if you please, I say this reverently, he came from the same womb from which the Son of God came. That needs to be taken into consideration because as we shall see in a few minutes, it didn't make any difference to him. As far as James was concerned, he happened to be born by Mary. Joseph happened to be his, his, his earthly father. But that is as far as it goes. He, 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 was, he was known as the son of the carpenter. James seems to have, to have I, 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 as I was studying this, I thought, I wonder if Mary ever said to James, why can't you be like your older brother? That would have been a task, wouldn't it? <laughs> to say to him, why can't you be like your older brother? God has been saying that for centuries. Why can't we be like our older brother? For that is what Jesus is to us. And so when we look in, into his trail and when we look into his background, we see a man who comes from a religious home, a man who came from a unique home, a man who had a unique mother, a man who had a unique brother. And you know, friends, it's interesting that James and the rest of the, 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 the children of Mary lived in that kind of environment. And yet when you get to John 7, 
we see James as a man of apathy. Apathy. You, you cannot transfer righteousness to people. You can always transfer wickedness, but you cannot transfer righteousness. And there was nothing that could be done. His apathy, his indifference toward Jesus is found in John 7. Listen to, listen to his brothers. So his brothers said to him, Go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. He's challenging Jesus to do precisely what Satan was going to tempt him, had tempt him to do. Satan took Jesus up into a high mountain and he said, throw yourself down because it is written, God is going to rescue you if you do. Exactly what they were saying. They wanted Jesus to use his religion for a show. Go show yourself. Let's, let's make something out of who you are. What you are. For, for the devil, if you are the son of God, do this. But to his brothers, if you are doing these things, let's make something out of it. No one, no one who is seeking to make something known for himself will keep it that way. As the suggestion is, if I were you doing what you are doing, I wouldn't keep it local. I wouldn't keep it to myself. I would make something out of it. I would use it for my benefit. And you should as well. You know, friends, one of the things Christian young people who are born in Christian homes, people always say this, if you're born in a Christian home, you're going to be a Christian. That's not true. That's not true. Here, here, is, here is James. In a, in a godlike home. I could go to Samson. He was born in a godly home. Born miraculously to his father and mother. If a son or a daughter or anyone in our home becomes a Christian, they do that by the drawing of God's Spirit, not by the influence of anybody else. Can't happen. We can be a witness, but we cannot, we cannot cause forgiveness. We cannot cause a person to become a Christian. John 1, 12, not by the will of man, not by man, but by God. So here was James then. He had everything going for him that would make him want to become a follower of Christ, and he was not. We can apply that a hundred ways. A hundred ways. And sometimes I, I wonder if certain things should be said. But you know, friends, in a few weeks, Lois's brother and I will be flying to Los Angeles. And, and we're going there to see his son 
who has been missing for years. None of us knew where this boy was. And through the grace of God, we discovered him that he is in a prison mental institution in, in, in Los Angeles. And David is following the Lord, his father. His mother died very young at 40 with brain tumor, but she was an ardent follower of Jesus Christ. Lois's parents dedicated, pray for their children and grandchildren. You cannot transfer righteousness. You must come to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ for your own. And when that happens, my friends, you will become real in your relationship. It will not be someone else's religion that you are seeking to emulate. James didn't make any, any pretense at all. He was indifferent to who Jesus Christ was, and a tragedy is, is that takes place. But here we have James now writing a book. Here we have James writing a part of the, the, the Bible. The, the manuscript of the scriptures begins with his name. And somehow, somehow, something took place in James's life. Do we have any record of this? Well, yes and no. I call it the transformation of James. If you look in Acts chapter 1, verses 1, uh, 12 to 14, you will find James in a place that is quite unique. You will find James in the presence of the disciples or the apostles. And if you read the text carefully, this is just before Pentecost, and prior to Pentecost, the apostles, along with Mary, went to the mount where Jesus was going to be ascended into heaven. So James must have been there. So somehow, after the resurrection, James was convinced that Jesus was indeed whom he claimed to be. Somehow his eyes were opened. Somehow his heart was made to see what his mind could not see in his previous days. And please remember, you cannot think of the resurrection without thinking of the death, and you cannot think of the death without thinking of to the reason for the death. So here was James then. He is with the other disciples who are in the upper room praying in obedience to Christ concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he was a different man from John chapter 7. He, he's no longer someone who could take or leave who Jesus was. He's now identified with the disciples. Let, let me make a suggestion to you. No one will feel comfortable with believers if you do not believe. No one. You, you will want to be with them only if you feel comfortable with them. 
Let me, let me show this to you. In Acts 9.26, Paul comes to Jerusalem for his initial visit. And he tried to join the rest of the disciples and they would not allow him. They would not allow him. We know what your reputation is like. And we know why you went to Damascus. And we're not too sure that something even happened to you that you now want to be identified with us. But my friends, 1 John, 1 John says this. Whoever is born of God loves those who are born of God. The reason we see James associating with the, with the disciples was now he can appreciate their spirituality. He can appreciate their faith. He can appreciate what they're doing because he is now a part of them. This transformation, my, fr my friends, is something that only God can do. All of a sudden, James began to breathe the same spiritual air that the disciples were breathing. And the scripture says they were together with one mind. So the same passion that drove the disciples to the upper room now drove James there. And that can only happen, my friends, if you have become a part of the family. Only when you become a part of the family. You will find every reason not to be with the family if you're not a part of the family. One of the things, one of the joys Lois and I have is, is when we go to our children, as far as I can remember, I cannot remember a time that we were with Heather and James and Christopher and the rest of the family that we just wanted to get away from them. Oh, my word, when can we go home? Now, you, you, you know, I, you're talking to someone who loves to be at home. <laughs> One time Heather said, I forgot what it was, I think Lois is going to be aware of something. She says, Dad, you can sleep here. I said, no. <laughs> I want my own bed. But what I'm getting at, my friends, Heather is 15 years older than Christopher. And yet when we come together, there is, in fact, they do something that I don't do. They want to play games. <laughs> and oh my word. And, and they, they, the one game they love to play, and I don't even know the name of it, but it's a name where you've got to, to draw your stuff and then you describe your stuff. And, and they love me because I have no sense of drawing at all. And the only reason they want to play that game is so they can laugh at me. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. But what fun we have. I have to drag my wife away, believe me. I have to say, honey, it's time for us to go. These kids want to get to bed. Oh, dear friends, there's some humor in that, but, but that's what God is saying should happen to the family of God. 
when we come together, there should be such excitement, such identification, such desire. All of a sudden, James, who was indifferent, who told Jesus, go to, to Judea and do your stuff and leave us alone, if you please. Here he is now in the upper room with those who love Jesus. Not only was he with the disciples. Now here's a true proof of transformation. He was praying with the disciples. He was praying with them. Look at verse 14. And all of these with one accord were constantly praying. <laughs> Listen, three things that James learned in the upper room in his relationship with Christ. One, he learned to have conversation with God. He learned to have conversation with God. Two, he learned to listen to God's communicating with him. He learned to listen to God who communicates with him. And three, his communication was consecrated. That is, that is what it means devoutly. That he's, he, he, he just didn't say a word of prayer. He was able to get with God to whom he spoke and God who spoke to him so that now that he's praying, he's praying in a way that is, the, the, the word prayer there comes from a Greek word which means to worship. To worship. So that he just didn't rush into the presence of God. The word means to bow. So here was James who stood and pointed his fingers at his brother, the son of God, half-brother I should say perhaps more correctly, and here he is now bowing down and lifting his voice in communicating with God. The proof, my friends, that he was transformed is that he began a life of prayer. And interestingly enough, in the book of James, Believe it or not, as practical as this book is, prayer runs right through this entire book. In this entire book, he begins by, by, by verse 5, let him ask of God. When we get to that, I'll delineate that word, ask for you. Let him ask of God. If you're you going to go here and do this or do that, say, if the Lord wills. All through the book. And of course, chapter 5, as we shall see in a few minutes. So prayer is conversation with God, communication from God, and consecration to God. That's what prayer is. But look at his profession. His profession. James, a slave. That's the word. Do loss. A slave. And I try to make the distinction between a servant and a slave. A servant has freedom to do what he wants. A slave has none at all. A slave is totally surrendered to the will of someone else. And that's what James is saying. I'm a slave of God. So he lived a surrendered life. A surrendered life. He calls himself a slave of God and of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus. He considered himself a slave as if to say, I live with my life constantly looking to my master to hear what he has to say to me. That's why I have prayer is communications from God. 
from God. The word describes one who, who considers himself as being bought by somebody else. That's what a slave is. He had to deal with the reality that when you are purchased by the blood of Christ, you are no longer your own. You belong to the one who purchased you. And Paul says we are born, we are born again by the blood of Christ who purchased us, so we belong to him. That's what James is saying, a surrendered life he lived. He understood the distinction of the Trinity. For example, he talks about the Lord, Jesus Christ, the one to whom he had no concern about before. He now sees, one, his sovereignty, Lord. His humanity, Jesus. His nobility, Christ. Jesus is no longer no longer just an ordinary half-brother to him. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he's saying. I knew him in his humanity. I despised what he was, but I, come, I came to understand that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that my mother looked forward to, the one that my father looked forward to, the one that I now look forward to. He lived a surrendered life. And friends, I cannot tell you how much this is missing in the church of Jesus Christ today. To surrender means that he has priority, first place in my life. I live in obedience to him. I seek to do his will in my life. And the reason sometimes we do not experience the power and the presence of God is because we're living outside of those parameters. He lived a servant's life, a servant life. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, it says he was a pillar, a pillar, P-I-L-L-A-R, someone who, who is a supporter, not only who gives, but someone who is there. And the doctrine of the deity of Christ, the doctrine of the Christology we will find in James, that means that he saw Jesus Christ no longer as he was before. He's now a servant to serve the 12 tribes that are scattered and nobody knows who they are. Some believe they were Jews. Some believe they were uh, Gentile Christians. We don't worry about that. We want the message of James. But he was a servant to them. And here is another sign, my friends, of someone who is born again. Someone who is born again, usually, usually, the, the, the sense of who God is. Listen to what Titus says. They are zealous for good works. A born-again person is zealous for good works. I Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has beforehand prepared that we should do them. We should do them. Good works, my friends, is a sign of being born again being a part of what God is doing. We seek to bring glory to Him. We serve the body of Christ. You know, I, I do not say this with any kind of bravado. Whenever I hear a minister say, my way or the highway, I say that man has lost sight of who's the head of the church. Because the church is not about me, 
It's not about you. It's about Christ who is the master of our lives. In closing, the teachings of James. What are we going to find in this book? There are five things you will find that's running through this book. They interwove with one another again and again. James is going to teach us on the following. One, he's going to teach us theology. Theology. James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does God tempt anyone. It's going to teach us about God, who God is. Because when we get to understand who God is, my friends, it will make a difference with how we live our lives. Theology. Two, morality. He will teach us morality. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. James is going to teach us how to deal with the temptations we face in our lives. Three, social, which is one of the big ones today, social justice. James is going to deal with how we think about other people who are different from us. Other people who have what we don't have. In chapter 1, if you'll notice, it's when Elizabeth was reading she talked about the rich and the poor. Let the rich man think this way and let the, the poor man think this way. James is going to deal with that. Or when someone walks into a congregation wearing a three-piece suit with a gold chain, how do we deal with that person as compared to someone who simply walks in with a pair of slacks? James is going to deal with our social behavior. He's going to deal, number four, with our spiritual life. How to experience victory over worldliness. James chapter 4, verses four, 1 and 2. What, what he's going to do, he tells us that when we live as a believer, we will know, we will know we are born again because the spirit in us will begin to say, that's not right. Don't go here. Don't go there. Our spiritual life is now alive and the spirit of God talks to us, telling us what to do and what not to do. And number five, James is going to teach us on prayer, on prayer. Prayer, we shall see, as I said, runs through the entire book. We'll talk about this later on. But one of the, the, the historians tell us that when James was alive and when he died, They found around his knees. His knees were that big. And you know why they were that big? Because of the time he spent kneeling before God. And so they nicknamed, nicknamed him Camel Knees. Camel Knees. So much time. So much time. You know, I heard the story, you know the praying hands? Do you know the story of the praying hands? Where there were two, two um, partners. They wanted to go into business, but only one could afford it. So the other one said, I will pray while you go out and work. And the other person went out and, and did wonderfully. And one day they came home and found the other one this way, dead. He was praying. 
For James, it was his kneecaps. What it is for you, my friends, that defines, that gives you assurance, like James. I know that I am a believer because the Spirit of God tells me this is not right, this is wrong. You are displeasing God. I know God's Spirit witnesses my spirit that I am born again. That's what James went through. He was transformed. And his transformation made him aware of God's presence in his life. We're going to go through this book, and I trust that God is going to open our understanding to wonderful things that will transform our lives into the image of God's Son. Let us pray. Father, these are simply, simple words, but oh, how powerful they are if, it, if they are God's word. I pray that the Spirit of God will, would have made applications already to someone in this place, not because I spoke, but because he spoke. And grant us, Father, to obey what the Spirit now speaks to us, because if we are born again, the Spirit of God is in us, warring against any disobedience in our lives. Accept, Lord, our cry. We ask of you, we ask of you to help us. Give us grace to obey you. Give us grace to love you. Give us grace to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.